All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I want to thank you for joining us for part two and the conclusion of our discussion. Uh, sit back, relax, and please enjoy. All right, so let's move away from characters. Let's kind of get into, I guess, more of the meat of the story, which is really like these characters going through, finding these keys, opening these gates, completing the challenge, getting the Easter egg at the end. Everyone goes home happy. Well, one person goes home happy. Right. Well, <laughs> I guess several people could go home happy. So what are what are your thoughts on the challenges in general? The way I think of it is like it felt like it was written with – Klein knew how he wanted it to end, like how he wanted the challenge to end or what he wanted the challenge to be about, but he didn't really know how he was going to get there. And it felt like he worked backwards. So that's why some of the the ways they come up, like the clues, are so convoluted and so complicated and, and vague in a way that like I never felt like I was kind of unraveling the story with Wade. I never felt like I was like had a chance at solving it myself. Like It wouldn't have mattered what theories I came up with for what each clue was because what ultimately ends up being the thing to let them know is so out of this world and so, um, what is the word I'm thinking of? Impossible to have come up with on your own. Yeah. It's, it's without you knowing some specific piece of information that you weren't told. Right. Um, and that's, that's, so it's hard to like really keep up, especially when want to be a part of this story because it's like, well, it didn't, I'm just kind of sitting and waiting for the book to eventually tell me, Because I never got to like, I, this isn't a mystery book for me at all. Well, and it's only a mystery for the character. When the book is based on stuff that has already happened that all of us could have all experienced already. We right. could have all seen war games. We could have all, you know, seen Pac-Man or um, what's the, or played Joust. Like you and I played Joust right. on the, what was it? The Sega or the PS1 on like yeah, the yeah. PS1 classics. It had a whole bunch of arcade games. Like we played Joust before, you know, but like. The, the clues that lead you into finding out it's like joust or whatever are just, they're just so vague. So there's no way, you, like, I think you have, you have a better chance of <laughs> accidentally stumbling into the answers to these, these challenges and these riddles than you do actually, like if you had studied it. it I would just, say they're for, so impossible. For some of them, that's probably true. Definitely the, definitely the first one. And, and I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit for a second. So when he finds the Tomb of Annihilation on the, um, uh, was it Halcedonia? Yeah. I remember the way he was describing it uh, as like the pillars and like a black cave or uh, the black pillars in the cave, however he describes it. And I was like, oh my God, I know what this is. What is he talking about? And then he reads it and describes it a little bit more. And then I was like, oh my God, this is a tomb of annihilation, Aaron. Like we were driving on the way up here. And it was only because of like a, for a few months before we drove up here, I had, I had bought that D&D module and I was playing it with my friends at my house Friday nights. Oh, okay. And so I knew who Acerarak was, the lich that he plays against. I was like, oh my God, this is a big bad guy of the module I was running. So I was able to figure that one out, but that was the only, absolutely the only one. And I was only because that was the D&D module I happened to buy. But, but did you figure out the riddle because of your knowledge <laughs> or did you just recognize the things that the book said? I honestly like, don't even remember the riddle. I, right. I just remember, I, I think I figured some of it out. I, that was the only one that I would have even come close to figuring it out is all I'm saying. I wanted to text you so bad and be like, oh man, I figured one out. Like I got, I was Stupid. right. And I didn't, um, I didn't know any of them because they, the way you get to these challenges, the way you get to these keys and gates are just so, so, so out of this world. Now, and like one thing that he might've been trying to do is just like what a mystery book does. Like, so I just got done reading like 
72 hours of the complete works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like complete uh, Sherlock Holmes stories, right? And that's how every single Sherlock Holmes story ends, is with you not being able to know what happened until Sherlock explains it later on. You know what I mean? I guess I haven't read one of those in a while. I guess that, that's basically how every single one happens. Is like there's just a bit that he had observed that you, that was never written because you uh, because Watson as the writer of the story never observed okay. or whatever. So that could be something he was trying to go for, but but that's not everybody's cup of tea. Like you're saying, that's not a mystery story for you, which is totally cool. But that's what that reminded me of when you were talking about like not being able to solve it with them. Is like that that's probably not the reason like that's how every single Sherlock Holmes book is written and people love those books you know what I mean so okay that's a fair point I could just be being critical of it I guess to me I was just like man this would be an awful it would have been fun if cooler I had if it a was single clue yeah, if it was more interactive it would have been way cooler if you could have been like oh wait I if the even if like the activity that Wade and the crew or whoever had to do was something that was beyond your capacity or whatever like play a perfect game of Pac-Man or whatever the case was like at least being able to figure out something would have made the clues more fun. Right, right. Which is ultimately like, isn't that what the story's for? Is fun for the reader? Like, I suppose it's supposed to be fun for the writer. I mean, it's their artwork too, but like, I mean, you're leaving you're leaving every reader in the dust when you make your, your four-line clues vague as all hell. I was hoping for a fun exploration along with Wade. And like you don't get that from no. this book. Like I said, it's I'm just waiting for it to tell me what the answer is. Yeah. So you you talked about the D and D module that's on Halcedonia, which is where like the first challenge is at. I think you have a fun fact about Halcedonia. So in the book, the reason I'm just even bringing this up is because he talks about how Halcedonia um, is used to learn how to teach people, like teach little children how to walk. What sizes of Oasis headsets do you think they have? Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me like what age do you think kids learn to walk all on their own like my kids were walking when they were like one you're telling me that they have little baby before they were one year old they were before they were a year old this woman slapped an oasis headset on her baby to help teach it how to walk keeping in mind that these are not like full body suits they're gloves and they're a headset how do you have a headset that teaches you how to use your freaking legs yeah. in a physical world while your eyeballs and your brain are in, like half of your brain are in a virtual world and half of your brain is in the physical world. Like, how does that even make sense? Why are you going to talk about using an Oasis headset to teach babies how to walk, right. dude? I like the idea of a cute little baby with a headset. I know, but like, on, but like what is <laughs> I love the visual. Just, and like, not even like actual gloves, but like the mitts where all of their, your, your four fingers go into one pocket and you just have a thumb, you just have thumb fingers. Like what, who's, who's making this baby wear yeah. an Oasis headset? I saw that. I read that the first time. I was like, there is no way Wade learned how to walk In the Oasis, using yeah. the Oasis. And he sure did. I love that image though. That's a great fun fact. Baby Wade learning did, how to walk. I did not catch it. That's a good one. <laughs> so let's move on to what I think is, this is our favorite part of the book. Oh, yeah. We can move on to the IOI escape, sort of espionage. It's like a uh, heist. Yeah, it, it, which is cool because, uh, so Wade, you know, he makes himself an indentured servant to IOI. Yep. That way he can kind of infiltrate it and ruin him from the inside out. And you're so right. I like it that you described it as a heist. And it, it is tonally different from the rest of the book. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting and I really like that uh, it. a lot of it took place in the real world. Like he had to do actual practical things like with his own hands. 
And there's also almost no 80s references. It was a really nice departure from the rest of the book. And that's probably why it's my favorite part. I thought it was super interesting. Like it, it almost kind of redeemed the book in a way. I think um, that part was definitely, it was a nice change of pace really was, is what it was. Cause I think that like his, his hunt was getting stale or something. There was, there was some kind of stall in what was going on in the Oasis and yeah. And Wade, that was when Wade had also started the job. So he wasn't like committing as much time. Yeah. So it's because his, his hunt was going stale. It kind of like in, injected some different energy into the story, which was really cool. But it also showed a level of thoughtfulness to his character to even pull all that stuff off. One thing that I'm a little uh, peeved about, I suppose, is he just like happened to stumble on like the perfect black market item that had the codes or whatever, because he wasn't actively seeking those. In the book, he, it talks about how he like found them and decided he wanted to save them for a rainy day. Yeah. So it's not even like he prepared for this heist by going and looking specifically for the backdoor codes. He just had them. And they happened to work. And I was like, nah, it would have been cooler if he had like taken a page from one of his movies that he's watched a thousand times and gone and like prepped for a heist and gone and found them instead of just having them and then using them, go and find them and then you can have them and use them. Like that's more of a cool story. That was like my one problem with the whole thing. But like, I'm surprised that that's the thing that peeved you. Everything in this book is so convenient. Well, no, yeah, that's absolutely a thing. So the so, fact that you draw the line on this Well, <laughs> I draw the line on a bunch. There's a bunch of stuff I haven't even like me brought up yet. I liked how thoughtful he was about this whole thing. And I like that about his character too. Like his character shows a lot about having a problem and trying to solve it and figure it out thoughtfully. Yeah, it was nice to see Wade outside of the Oasis where he didn't have all this gear and stuff to like used to his advantage. It was really just kind of his own ingenuity yeah. when he was stuck in IOI. And that's why, again, that's why it's a, it was a nice change from kind of, like I said, you said it was sort of like his own hunt for the Easter egg had gone stale and it was getting monotonous. That's sort of how I felt this book was. It was getting stale and it was monotonous. So was, to have this kind of break was really nice. It was like for, a, the, for the character and for me. <laughs> yeah. It was like an entertaining intermission between like what was going on in the story and then like the last act, because this is, when he leaves IOI is really the beginning of the last act of the book, really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's just move right on into that, kind of your final challenge. Ooh, uh, that's called a segue. Yeah. Um, what do you think of like how it all comes together? Ogden Morrow shows up. Uh, he was Halliday's partner uh, in the business and everything. I wanted to save him for later because this is where his character becomes more important. He has been kind of left the responsibility from Halliday to kind of assure that the contest rules are being followed in like in the spirit of the contest, you know, and Ogden won't help uh, Wade's crew in some ways because he's like, it's not in the spirit of the contest. But as we are going through the book, you find out that IOI has been essentially cheating and everything they're doing is not in the spirit of the contest. Ogden knows about that, has the power to stop it and never does. So I think it's weird that his character kind of draws the line there. To be like, ah, well, wait, I won't help you and your friends, but I also won't stop them. So to kind of be the arbiter of, of, of the contest and have all that responsibility, he's a frustrating character. And then just have him kind of show up and sweep everyone away to safety so that they can complete the final challenge. I was I was kind of frustrated with Og's character. Yeah, and definitely with being such a big head like exec at GSS and knowing that IOI has been hacking their hardware allowing multiple users to like talk to somebody while they're on the outside of the Oasis and doing all this stuff. Like how is there not 
this is the future. Like Holiday has developed this super secure, automated like utopia, and these people have got to be violating some terms and service that come along with using the Oasis. Like, right. No. Yeah. How are they not automatically booted? Like there's people that cheat all the time in video games and the software picks it up and they're kicked out. Like, how is that not something, somebody who's such a fan of video games, writing a book about video games, like, and you're going to also write about cheaters in video games. How are you not going to address that at all? Like that just blew my mind. That like The problem is the book needed to happen. So you can't get rid of all the bad guys because the bad guys are cheating. You have to, you have to not write any cheating detection software into your story. Otherwise you won't have any bad guys. Right. Which and, is, which is a part of the problem I think with this book is the villain and the evil corporation. It's so clearly, it's so, it's so obvious that against, they're, they're evil and everything. And against, yeah. But it, it, the characters who can do something about it don't. And it, it makes it all fall flat because it's like, Oh my God, I understand you're a big bad guy. But yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense yeah. operating in this world, you know? Yeah. And it's not even like IOI was going to do anything atrocious. Like, they complain about how they were going to add like ads and a subscription fee and stuff like that. And people couldn't pay it. It's like, well, maybe people should go out and get a job. Maybe they should go out and like fertilize the land. So they're not dying of starvation. Maybe they should go down, plant some trees. So the atmosphere doesn't suck. Like maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad plan for IOI to win. Like, I don't know. It, it is interesting. Like I said, it, it feels like there's a lot of issues brought up in this book and it's all just surface level to let you know that like, climate change is important yeah. and all this but then like no one like you said no one does anything about it no everyone is just so concerned with the oasis so yeah like, it, it is a hundred percent about the oasis that everything that's happening outside that they try to use to leverage drama into the oasis is 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 worthless right you can't leverage the real world stuff into this fake world because the only stakes that you've developed are in the oasis there yeah. are no stakes in the real world because nobody knows what the hell's going on in the real world right no you're Hit the nail on the head. I, I like the way you put that. Let's move on into the final battle, the the big, I guess, climax culmination of the story here. Yeah, so there's like a lot of really cool stuff that happens. They, like, everybody gets their mechs out that they end up winning for getting the last key, and that was really cool. Um, but the weirdest thing that happens that anybody who's played an MMO, massive multiplayer online game, will know is there's no slash all start typing and a message will go to every single player on the server. That's not a thing in right. most games like that because you'll have people who will just sit there and type in eight equals, 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 capital D <laughs> and then hit enter and then everybody's going to... Just spam people, yeah. Got a picture of a, you know, whatever on their screen. And so the fact that a random player, because Wade doesn't have any special abilities at this point, like mm -mm. he doesn't have an artifact that allows him to preach to every person, like... How is that? That always just struck me as a weird thing because that's not how games work. Right. You can't talk to everybody simultaneously like that. Like he uses the message boards and things like that and his like, you know, vid feeds or whatever. So I get that. But it would just struck me as weird that that yeah. was a thing. I guess I thought that's how he did it is he sent it. It was like on his channel. And he does it do it on his channel. Yeah. But he also it says he sends a message to everybody. To everyone. Yeah. Weird. In the Oasis. Yeah. Everybody. Hey, Sorry. All hey, the babies, sorry, all grandma the who's planting flowers on, on, uh, what is it? On uh, Animal Crossing. On Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I need you to come to Castle Anorak right now. We got some serious shit going on. Or like all the babies learning to walk. They all get that message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little baby, little, little baby one-year-old trying to walk on House of <laughs> message. Mommy, who's this? Yeah. <laughs> 
so we we've gotten to the battle and like you said it's cool because it's it's just like oh reference here reference here this gun was used this mech showed up and it's just kind of neat if you just like all of that stuff but it's not really talking about the battle or what is happening or the stakes it just feels like another opportunity to unload 80s pop culture yeah. and japanese pop culture with all these like mechs and gundam and i suppose and it's kind of cool to like under to, to be told that this list of mechs are in the battlefield and kind of let your own mind run wild because it's not like you ever get to watch ultraman fighting mecha godzilla or something like that like that's not ever a thing so it i suppose maybe that's giving him more credit than he deserves but like that's kind of what i did like with without without any instruction on what these things are doing i have no choice but to like seek it out in your own but mind to do side, it myself yeah. so it's interesting that you bring that up about build a story in your mind one of the reasons why that was really hard for me for this book is because it's read by will wheaton yeah who you know is uh, you know he's in star trek next gen you know he's, he's, he's a big so part whiny of- in that in the early parts of that series too yeah. He's just, he's a popular figure in like nerd culture. So yeah. it's kind of fun that they got him to read this. And that he's is actually true. even like a character in the book. He's mentioned as like one of the uh, like, political figure. Yeah, like an elected official yeah. in the Oasis. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to have him in. I had a lot of trouble listening to this book and trying to imagine stuff in my mind's eye because I know who Will Wheaton is and I've seen his face. And so every time I listened to it, I just imagined I was sitting in a room. Will Wheaton was reading me the book. <laughs> so it wasn't as like, vibrant in my own mind to like listen to this i think you need to get someone besides will wheaton if you really want to explore this in like your imagination it's like like honestly like his constant inflections on every other word you know like oh yeah that got just tiring to hear like dude can you please read a sentence normally yeah like you don't need to add inflection on a period there's a great part where (laughs) wade and h are arguing you know holiday trivia and he's like oh you're a poser a poser yeah like it's, it, I don't know, it's just the point. Like, it's so odd. Maybe it's the way, like, and I didn't read the book. I listened to it on, on Audible, right? Same right. as you. So maybe it's written differently with a, a different, I don't know, maybe it's actually written that way and he read it correctly and I'm just ignorant of that. But it, either way, yeah. there are plenty of words that I know how they're spelled on a piece of paper that he inflects very oddly and it's just, they're just. He says incisor weird, incisor yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's like the pronunciation of some words just like nails on a chalkboard, and I don't get it. Uh, it again, it's interesting to have him narrate it, but or, or read it, but it just felt like not for me. Yeah. So we've talked about cool mechs and all the cool guns and all that's going on in the battle. Through it all, Shoto kind of sacrifices himself to get the other three members of the party to the door so they can open up the gate. H, Artemis, and Wade have gotten into the gate. They are going to complete the last challenge, and that cataclyst go, goes off the bomb. Yeah. It's just so conveniently written into the story to get rid of everyone. Yeah. And then conveniently you have that, uh, the quarter that Wade got earlier, which yep. we didn't mention, but it's like kind of a neat little side story that he goes on. He wins this extra coin, which is essentially an extra life. He comes back to life in the Oasis, manages to go back through the gate and he's going to complete this challenge. One thing that I thought was really weird is everyone else in his party gets kind of like patched into his communication and everything. No, that's a function of Og and their headsets. That's an Ogden thing. Still, it's something that would be considered cheating. They talk about it being cheating, yeah. IOI does it. Yeah. And I was like, well, isn't that not exactly what Wade is doing now? So it was just a funny, like, yeah. kind of the, not okay for you, but it's okay for me kind of style of writing, I well, guess. Well, and like, I think the, the, yeah, I don't think that Og would have done it had every single other person been dead except for him knowing that 
they had just used the tablet of finding to figure out exactly, you know, like, well, I guess they didn't even need to know where the tablet, they didn't even need to use the tablet of finding to know where it was. They already knew where the gate was. Right. But knowing that every other sixer basically was on their way, they needed to make sure that he stayed a step ahead of them. Otherwise he was going to lose. I just thought it was funny. It's like they, yeah, it, it feels like Wade and the other members of his group go out of their way to talk about how big a cheaters like IOI is. And I was like, you're cheating at the end. Yeah, they definitely were <laughs> cheating at the end. Uh, yeah, it, again, it kind of pulls from the fun parts of the other challenges. Like you play the main character in a movie, you know, or I think he plays like multiple characters because it's Monty Python. He, yeah, Holy he, Grail he rotates through the main characters of each act of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And then he has to play that. Uh, he has to play like a. It's like a tunnel game where you're going through a tunnel, but there's like a circle that you like a circle track that you go left and right on. And you have to like avoid obstacles and shoot bad guys. And you have to. Oh, yeah. OK, so he's playing like a, an arcade cabinet. Yep. He beats it gets moved on to teleport into another room with all the consoles which again conceptually really cool idea I yeah like the idea of an egg-shaped room with all the consoles set up on various like tiers of desks with all their associated hardware and a big stack of games next to it it, it looks in like when i close my eyes and i see it i'm like man that's a cool room it, it would be like it's a real cool museum like homage to yeah video games which is, I, I like that idea which was holiday's office is, is what he says too right yeah and that's where he needs to discover yet another clue he needs to he turns on the atari he plays adventure and he goes and finds the first easter egg that was ever hidden in a video game and that is when he goes to halliday's room and he gets the actual egg right right and that's kind of your culmination of the challenge he's won now again it just it felt like maybe the last chapter or two of this of the challenge i was like oh my god it's just still going well, I, and it just felt like it was another challenge after another. And I get it's the last gate, but I was like, oh, my God. Like, my biggest problem is, well, there, I guess I have two problems with the challenge. One, one's with the challenges as a whole. And then the second one is with these challenges specifically. But he's building this o- the Oasis as this, like, you can do anything, program anything, be anyone, anything, environment. And then he limits the actions, the, the meaningful actions of the story, meaning like, you know, for example, getting a key to playing Joust. Right. Dude, you could have you could have had him mount an ostrich and actually have to joust the the undead lich and right. as your opponent. Like you could have had some kind of cool epic battle doing that, but no, you had to keep your eighties theme and you had to make it an arcade cabinet. It's like that it's just so disapp- it's it's such a i don't know it's just a waste of it's a waste of an opportunity every single challenge that it's forcing you to do something that's limited by 80s technology right and that's such a bummer and then and then for these last ones to just copy and paste the same things oh you played a game for the first one so you're going to play a game again you did a movie for the fir- second one you're going to do a movie again it's like yeah there it was, was there was no variety and i was just like okay cool he, i guess he's just going to do monty python now like oh that's same old same old which is not fun for the reader to just sit there and listen to someone read the script of Monty Python. No, like, I can do that. I can pull up my phone right now and do that. There's no fun to the last no. challenge. I was, I was, I was bummed out too. It's disappointing and, because it's just repeats of old stuff. We said at the beginning. I think conceptually, there's the idea of an oasis and all this stuff is really cool. Yeah. But then, like you said, to limit it to '80s pop culture and '80s technology, like really draws back a lot of the fun you can have in this world. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, there could have been a lot. It could have been a lot with this last one, and then there just wasn't. So Wade wins. He splits the inheritance with H, Artemis, and Shoto. 
everything kind of happily ever after. Sorrento goes to jail forever. It's a really simple bow on what I think is a pretty simple story that just reads like fan fiction. And that leads me to my next question, which is, who is this book made for? So, you know, I don't know who this book is for. Like, the topics are 80s stuff, which means that teenagers who are the ages of these characters are going to be too young to have really experienced. You know, like, an 18-year-old isn't going to know, probably hasn't seen Top Gun or anything. Well, I guess Top Gun's more than 90s, but they haven't seen, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not a thing. Like, even students that I was teaching, 19, 20-year-olds, haven't even seen Top Gun. There's no way they're going to see something that's farther down that way. So the material is too old for characters or for people who are the same age as the characters, but then all the dumb character choices and dramas and personalities are too young for adults who understand the material. So there's like a really crappy divide between like who it could be for because there's there's no middle ground where somebody can understand and appreciate all of it. Yeah, totally agree with you. It feels like it's it's written for an audience that's really young, but all the content is for people who are older, who would understand the references and everything they're going through. So I, I, I have no idea who this book is for, and that's why I just think that it's just for Ernest Klein. He just wrote it for him, and it, it, it probably hits really well for people who love the 80s and obscure references. This book is perfect for you. But I, I yeah, I don't understand who it's for because it also can't really be a book for kids because of how vulgar some of these characters' mouths are. So yeah, like, so H isn't the best. So it's like you can't even really... I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I would get this book for like... Um, we have a 13-year-old niece. Like, I wouldn't be like, yeah, read Ready Player One. Like, it's it's written it's written at a level that she would certainly comprehend. And it's just... It's but just, all the content would be like either over her head or it's just like... It's, it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. The timing of it is just cringy and inappropriate when it happens too, you know? Like, yeah. It's unnecessary when it happens. It's like forced in there. It's like sandpaper. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's sort of my... Yeah, my takeaway on who who is this book for, because it doesn't really feel like it's for a wide audience. It no. feels like it's for a very niche audience that wants to hear about 80s stuff, but also has the reading comprehension level of a 10-year-old. Which stuff. is why when they ended up making the movie and they took the themes of the book, but added recent right now pop culture stuff that's relevant, Yeah, it was a way bigger hit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I still feel like uh, the movie does a lot of... It suffers from the same thing where... It feels like it's a movie for kids, but then they're walking around saying like shit all the time. Yeah. So, so it's so odd to me. Yeah. I don't really know who the movie is for either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think let's uh, let's get into our final thoughts. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of this book? Um, I guess I have two final thoughts. So m- one of like my biggest issues with this whole thing or with the way that the high five, right, go through and figuring this all out is after Wade's first encounter with IOI in the office and Sorrento. Sorrento is like, hey, we have the bomb. You're either going to give us the information or we're going to blow you and all your friends up because we found you. We can find them. And then I do love how he gets his bosses, though, to like be like, oh, yeah, we'll fire him right now yeah. in front of him. And then and then he leaves. Um, but then he goes back to the chat room with all of them and tells them that they're all in danger tells them that IOI is cheating, tells them how they're doing it, and explains all of this to these people who under who like love the Oasis and understand the gravity of winning the contest and understanding how bad it would be if IOI ends up winning. And yet they still are so prideful in doing this solo that they won't group up together, even though they know that their chances of keeping IOI away from winning is to do it, is to do it together. Why? 
why are you forcing these characters to do something that when you're, you're, you're building them as these smart people who can think through clues and think through problems and riddles and solve these things, you're making them stupid right. by putting this problem plainly in front of them and then having them just blow it off. It doesn't make any sense. No, it's, it's not clever writing because, again, this is a book for kids. At least it's written at that level. And so when you do that, it needs to be, you need to create like artificial drama. And that's how that, that's how yeah, that part no, feels absolutely. to me is it's, it's just creating, it's something that should have such an obvious answer. And then when everyone kind of turns their back on it, it's for the reader. It's like, oh my God, why are they doing this? It creates drama, but it's not done in a clever way no, at all. It, it, like, it's it, done in a really frustrating it, it's like, way. Yeah. It's not fresh. It's like, it gives me anxiety. I'm like, right. you guys are killing me right now. Um, I think my, my last thing is probably like, Holiday's Contest is a really, really cool idea. The problem with it is it doesn't test the character of the winner. It just tests their knowledge of the 80s. Right. Right? So you could have some super sweaty, try-hard COD player who just had help or whatever and ended up winning this. Like, he could have been a total douchebag, right? Like, is that who Halliday wanted to win this contest? Because right. like, that absolutely could have happened. It could have happened, right? Like, I love the but, idea of some douchebag who just uses the robes of anorak to, to 360 no scope people <laughs> or like to teleport around and just like teabag people but i like, love the idea of like a, the toxic cod player winning this but game. it just doesn't make any sense to me why like if he if he cares about the oasis and wants somebody to take care of it right like oh willy wonka right oh, this like, is exactly willy wonka this is exactly like but but willy wonka's was different because his test tested the heart of the contestant yeah meaning yes he stole the everlasting gobstopper but he didn't eat it that showed that he he knew he was wrong and he gave it back you didn't have to have a good heart to win this this that toxic cod player could be going around calling everybody in the oasis the n-word every five seconds and he absolutely would have had the power to do that but that's not who holiday wanted to win this contest so why did he allow these rules to be the way that they were no that's really good that you brought up Willy Wonka because I think that conceptually Klein basically just like took that idea and put it in his own book but like you said he got the concept right completely missed out on the heart of what makes Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory like a good story it completely missed the point of yeah like you said like it doesn't it, like testing the character he has no idea that whoever wins is going to take care of the Oasis at all he yeah. could have ended up giving it over to IOI for the money anyway or like for even more money like there's no telling what could have happened, and, and Halliday was just fine understanding that so much of society was locked and linked into the Oasis, and knowing that just any terrible person could have ended up winning, right. just because you knew the most about the 80s. No, I agree with you. Uh, like I said, this is probably going to hit really hard for people who love the 80s. Just feels like this was a really fun ride for Ernest Klein. I can't get attached to any of these characters because they're not really characters. They're just attributes of Ernest Klein and things that he cares about. So this, I would put this as a, uh, not a fun read. I would say it's not, it's not worth your time. Uh, if that's anything you can take away from this review, this is more of a spoiler one, more of a discussion, not really a review of it, but it is nice to kind of get some thoughts out on what I thought was one of the most more frustrating books I've, I've gone through. Yeah. And like after you and I have spent several days and text messages and stuff talking about it, and listening to both books a second time, like on the way up here again, I definitely would rate them lower than I did initially. The The second one is not as good as this one. So that's going to be an interesting yeah, one so, to talk about. Yeah, buckle up because we're going to have a review. Oh, Ready man. Out, so. Oh, man. Um, so on a scale, of, we, we usually rate these ones uh, on a scale of Ecto 1 to Ecto 10. Where do you put this? I give this like a three or a four after like reading it a second time and like, 
really looking for things that like bothered me, I guess, you know, or th there's just more that's easy to pull out that's bad than more that was easy to pull out that was good my second time around. Oh, I think you're so right. Almost all my notes were like, oh man, I didn't yeah, like yeah. this. Yeah, all my, all my things were like, why did so-and-so do this? Why did so-and-so do this? How does this even work like that? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still glad you brought it up because this is something I've wanted to do for a while. I wanted to do a little book club and everything. So we got, yeah, we got two and then uh, we're also going to review the movie, which will be cool. Uh, yeah, so with that, we're closing this one out. Um, you can find us on any platform that you want to find a podcast on, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, SoundCloud, any of them. We also upload all these to YouTube, so go ahead and leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any suggestions for books to read, uh, you can also uh, leave those in the comment section. Uh, so thanks again, Kiefer, for suggesting this book. Yep. Uh, while, uh, while it wasn't my favorite read, it's always good to have like these discussions. Yeah, as always, uh, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. All right, and with that, we're wrapping this up. Thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.